you've probably heard it, heard it said that old people have memory problems, um, and I'm finding that to be true. Like, I don't remember what I had for breakfast this morning, but I remember a night uh, more than 50 years ago, uh, Sally and I were newly married, we're riding in the car one night, and Sally, I was in seminary, and Sally had just signed a contract for a teaching position at the high school in Lake Forest, Illinois, and we knew how much money she was going to be making. And we had signed a lease for an apartment, a little apartment over a Chinese carryout place in, in Lake Forest. And as we thought about it, we realized, really our only expenses were, go, were going to be our, our car payment, the, uh, the rent payment every month, and, and a little bit for food, and we thought about it, we were gonna be rich. I mean, wow. We were so naive. <laughs> naive is a nice way of saying stupid. We sure did not understand finances much or what it would be like for us as a, as a married couple. And I confess, I still don't understand finances very well stocks and bonds and all 401ks and things just somehow go over me. And I'm really grateful for people who are wise in those areas who can advise and counsel those of us who aren't. But the Bible gives us some important principles about finances. And those I really do understand. And it's those that I want us to think about today. As you know, if you were here last week, we're in a series on stewardship stewarding, how we wisely and carefully take care of what's been entrusted to us. And today we're thinking about how we steward our resources. And again, uh, we say resources because we're really talking about money. And if we say money, some of you will just shut off immediately or maybe even walk out. So we'll say resources, but really what we're talking about is your money. And I think the Bible gives us some really basic and important principles for us to follow as we think about money, because God cares about us, and so he cares about our money. So we're going to begin by, by trying to get our heads straight. How we think about money is really important, about our resources. And there's some principles there in the Bible that are uh, sometimes a little hard to understand, sometimes a little hard to accept or believe. And the first one is that God owns it all, right? God owns everything. If you know me much, you know I love astronomy and studying about the universe and stuff. And when I, when I read or see pictures of these galaxies and nebula and all that's out there, it just inspires me to think God owns all of that. God is the creator of the universe. Talking about Jesus, it says, you know, that through him were all things created, and without him was not anything made that was made. It is all his. Everything is God's. Let me, let me read you from Psalm chapter 15, a couple verses, because I, I like the emphasis that comes across here. So the psalmist says, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. Every animal in the forest is mine. And the cattle on a thousand hills. And then he says, I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. See, to me, that's a, that's a really helpful idea to think not just about, okay, it's not just the galaxy, the cosmos that God made and God owns. It's not even the big things like a cattle on a thousand hills. It gets down to the, to the crickets and the butterflies that God made it all and it is all his. 
But that brings us to the second principle that if it all is God's, then it means that all that we have is a gift from God. It's given to us by God. And here's where I, I struggle in my heart. because I, So I'm, I'm okay with God owning the galaxies, and I'm even okay with God owning the crickets and the butterflies. But doggone it, there's some stuff that's mine, isn't there? I mean, I worked hard for what I have. I studied hard in school. I got good grades. I went to graduate school. I'm a seminary graduate. I put in long hours for years. I mean, doesn't that mean that it's mine, my paycheck, my bank account, my house, my car? Can I get to the place where I say, it's all mine because God has given it to me. He's entrusted it to me to be a good steward. In James, this is the brother of Jesus speaking. And James writes this in the first chapter of his letter. He says, so don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. See, that's a warning to us right there, right? Don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. You know, we deceive ourselves, James says, if we think that somehow what we have is ours, that we have earned it and worked for it, and there we possess it. James says every good thing that you have, you have because God has given it to you. And when I start to think, well, I mean, I worked hard for stuff that I have. I don't care if God has all that other stuff out there, but what's mine is mine, right? And the Bible says, no, the reality is that you have it because God has entrusted it to you. God has given it to you. I mean, you think about how different anything would need to be when you would not have that car or that home or that bank account. I mean, if you're if your IQ, if you'd been born with an IQ, you know, 20, 30 points lower, you know, how would you have done in, in graduate school? If you had not been born with a, with a healthy, strong body, you know, how would you, how would you get by working those long days? God has given us so much. We're born in this rich country. What, what if you had been born in the, in the slums of Calcutta? And you'd spend every day putting in those long hours digging through the city trash heap, trying to find some little bit of something that maybe you can sell to get a little bit of money to buy a little bit of food to support your family. You are blessed by God who has given you all things. And if it were not for God's blessing, you would not have what you have. And that takes us to the third principle, which is this. You ready for it? You are rich. Yeah. I'm looking out here at a congregation of rich people. You are rich. And again, that just sort of grates on me. I mean, I know what rich people look like. They're the celebrities on television. And, and it makes me angry sometimes. I see these people with absolutely no talent and very little morals, it seems, you know, who have millions and millions of dollars in this incredible lifestyle that they totally don't deserve or earn at all. And I look up at those people and I think, and you're, you're trying to tell me, the Bible's trying to tell me that I am rich? No. 
So what do I do to understand that biblical principle that I am rich? And to do that, I have to look not just up at those who have more than I have. I need to look down at those who have less. And the reality is that most people, compared to me and compared to you, are not up there, but they're down here. Let me read you a few statistics that I, that I found. So if you have a refrigerator, clothes on your back, a roof overhead, and a place to sleep, you are richer than 75% of all the people in the world. If you've never experienced the danger of battle, the loneliness of imprisonment, the agony of torture, the pangs of starvation, you are ahead of 500 million people in the world. 80% of the people in the world live in substandard housing. 70% of the people in the world are unable to read. 50% of the people in the world suffer from malnutrition. If you have money in the bank and in your wallet and even spare change in a dish someplace, you are among the 8% of the world's wealthy. So you might try to argue with me, but you can't win the argument. You are rich, and you are rich because God has blessed you. What you had, God, God has given to you. And we are, in, we are commissioned and entrusted to be good stewards of what God has given to us. Let me just read you one more thing. So, American Christians give $700 million to mission agencies every year. $700 million to mission agencies, which is the amount that we also spend on candy and gum. My friends, you and I are rich. We are rich because the God who owns it all has given to us so generously. He has blessed us so much. So that's the first principle. We've got to get our head on straight. We've got to think correctly about what it is about our resources, what it is that we have, what it is that God has given to us. It's all his. He's entrusted to us, and he has made us rich people. Then we go on to try to get our pocket straight or maybe our wallet or our purse straight. How do we use then those resources that God has given to us. What does it mean to be a good steward of what God has given to me? And I, God's got three principles here that I want us to think about for a minute that I think are pretty important. And the first is the principle of the tithe. So a tithe, the word tithe means 10%. And really from the beginning in the Old Testament, that's the standard that God has set for what people ought to give back to God, 10% seems like that ought to be pretty clear, black and white, but it gets kind of confusing. Even in the Old Testament, the Israelites were to give 10%, but then they were also to give another 10% to take care of the, of the priest, the Levitical tribe that were to take care of the temple and the tabernacle. And then every three years, they were to give another tithe to take care of the poor and those who didn't have enough to sustain their lives. And when we get into the New Testament, the, the practice was still tithing. And Jesus says some things like, remember he meets, uh, meets uh, Zacchaeus, this dishonest tax collector. And Zacchaeus encounters Jesus. And Zacchaeus ends up saying, well, I'm going to give away every, half of what I have. 
And a rich young ruler comes to Jesus. What do, I, what do I need to do to be saved, to be one of your followers? And Jesus says, you need, to, you need to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. So that basic standard, I think, is a guideline for us on how we are to use our resources. And I believe that the biblical principle is clear enough that the standard that we shoot for anyway is that we give 10% of what we have back to God. 10%. Sounds tough, doesn't it? I have read some statistics just, just recently that the huge majority of Christians believe in the tithe, believe that they ought to give 10% to God. And the vast majority of Christians don't give anywhere near a tithe. You know, they give about 2% on average of what they have giving back to God. So, so how, do, how do we do that? How do we take that step? Um, well, maybe if it seems like that's too big a step for you to take at this point, you might start saying, at least evaluating, how am I spending my money, my resources? How am I using them? You know, what is the percent? What is the part of that that I want to give back to God? Maybe you could increase that a little bit by thinking about, well, every time I get a raise, I'll tithe that raise. So I'm just giving 2% of my regular salary, but when I get a raise, I'm going to give 10% of that. Or any extra money that I get, I'm going to tithe out of that. Gradually over time, the percentage that you're giving would increase a little bit. You'd come closer to meeting that biblical tithe. In fact, God says, this is, the, this is the second principle, it's the principle of the first fruits. God says we not only need to give back to him, but we need to give the first fruits. So in, in the Bible, of course, you know, so many people were, were farmers, and so the idea was that when they brought in the harvest, they were to take the first fruits, the first 10% of the harvest, and give it to God. That's, that's tough. So let's say I'm really trying to be conscientious about giving to God, giving back to God. My tendency is going to be to want to wait till I get to the end of the month, and then if there's anything left, I, I, I can give it to God. I can give it to God. But God says the, the step of faith, of obedience, is to give to God first, to give to God first, and then to do the other things that we need to be done. See, I think, I think we have some responsibilities to think about at the very beginning. How do I want to use my resources? How am I going to do that? And we give our first fruits back to God. It's a principle that, that the Bible gives to us that I think we need to try to follow. But it's not, it's not easy. And if I'm going to be faithful to God... I want to give him a way of expressing to him how I feel about him, what he has done for me. If I really believe that I am a rich person, that God has blessed me, then, then what's that going to make me want to do? It's going to, want to make me want to give back to God. There's a, there's a really interesting story in, in the Old Testament where, where David is the king. And there's been a, a plague in, in Israel. And God has stopped the, the plague. 
And God has told David in response to that, he should offer a sacrifice to God, and he tells him where he should do that. So outside of Jerusalem, which was the capital at that point, there was a, there was a man, a landowner there, named Aruna, and he had a threshing floor, so that would have been a big flat area where they would thresh, thresh the grain. And so David comes to this threshing floor, and there's Aruna threshing his, his wheat, and, uh, and he bows down before the king, he said, you know, what has caused the king to come to me? And David says, I need to, I need to offer a sacrifice to God. Uh, and I want to do it here on your threshing floor. I want to buy it from you. And Aruna says, oh, you know, far be it from me. Here, take, take the threshing sled, this thing that, you know, would kind of crush the wheat and, and thresh it out. He said, here, take that. Use that for the fire. And, and take the two oxen that are pulling it and use them as the sacrifice to give to God. I just, I give it to you. And then David makes this incredible reply to this man. He says, no, he says, I will not offer God that which costs me nothing. I'm not going to give to God that which costs me nothing. What, what does that say about my relationship with God? Interesting thing used to happen back when I was the, the pastor here at the church. Um, we would often get free samples of things that people were wanting to sell to us as a church. We would get ballpoint pins with the name Orchard Hill Church printed right on it. And, and calendars and booklets and things. So I would give them to my family as gifts. And I, I know my daughter was just thrilled for her birthday when I would give her a ballpoint pen, and i say, yeah, but look, it says Orchard Hill right there on the, on the pen. Gee, Dad, thanks, you know. Or my son would get the calendar where I had cut off the top where it said, your church's name printed here. I would cut that off before I gave him the calendar. Or on Mother's Day, Sally was thrilled, I know, with the Mother's Day booklet, Women of Faith, that I would give to her that I had gotten in the mail only a few weeks before that. What a chintzy thing to do. What, what does that say about how I feel about my family if I give them that which costs me nothing? You know? Can we say that same thing about what we give to God? If, if I love God, if I really understand what God has given to me, what he has done for me through Jesus Christ, what am I going to give him? Do I give him that which costs me nothing? You say, well, for me to tithe, to, to give that part of my income to God, that, that'd be really a sacrifice. To which I would say, yes, exactly. What would it say to God? If in gratitude and love for what he has given to you, you sacrificially give back to God of what he has given to you. So we come to the third principle, and it's this. You know, I believe that our, one of our primary responsibilities in terms of using our resources is to give to the local church. So when I was the pastor here, I used to... I, really avoided talking about this because it sounded like, to me anyway, like I was saying, you need to give to Orchard Hill Church so you can pay my salary. Well, you don't pay my salary anymore, so I'm going to say it to you. <laughs> you need to support the local church. So your primary responsibility, I think the Bible says, is for your family. It says the person who doesn't you know, provide for their family is worse than an infidel. But beyond that, I think we give to the local church 
And I can say, after having been a part of a part of this church for almost 40 years, that that those who have the responsibility here at Orchard on using your money that you entrust to them do it carefully and wisely and biblically and generously. In, in two weeks, I think, I think I'm right on this, we have our annual congregational celebration on a Sunday night, and we get together and we approve the budget for the coming year, and we talk about how God has used our resources during this past year. We hear stories of how God has partnered with us and with our giving to the local church to do great things to a broken world in need of Jesus Christ. Just seems, you know, the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. It just seems to me so often like we're sort of missing the boat if we're. So I don't like to pay taxes. I don't like to pay taxes. I'm not convinced that the government uses it well. Um, and so I begrudgingly, but fairly, in case anybody in authority is listening, I do <laughs> pay my taxes every year. But what, a, what an insult to God, isn't it? If that's my approach to God, like, all right, I have to give to God. There are a couple, a couple of beautiful stories in the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament. So God has brought the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, and they're out in the wilderness, free people finally. And God says, uh, you, you need to build a, a place for me, a tabernacle, a tent church, and he tells them how it's to be built. So Moses, who's leading the people, gets all the people together, and he says, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to build this tent church, and it's going to represent the presence of God in the midst of the people. And so, listen, if anybody wants to contribute to building the tabernacle, gold or silver or fine linen or anything you've got, if you want to, you can just bring it here, and, and we'll collect it before we get started. And apparently, people give so much. I picture it, it doesn't say this, but I picture it like this huge pile of gold and silver. It, it mentions specifically women bringing their earrings and bracelets, it said, which would, would have been maybe the only gold or silver things that they had. Bringing those and just piling them up, and there's getting this huge pile of all this stuff that the people are bringing, till Moses finally has to say to them, whoa, wait, wait, stop, stop, all right. Nobody bring anything else, okay? Why were they doing that? Because those were the people who had been living their lives in slavery in Egypt, and they had seen God part the Red Sea and defeat the army of Pharaoh and bring them out and taking them to a land flowing with milk and honey. And they are so grateful. They express that gratitude and love to God through their giving. And then a few hundred years later than that, David is the king now. They're pretty much established as a nation in Israel. Jerusalem is their capital. And now David wants to build a temple for God there in, the, in their capital city of Jerusalem. And God says, no, David, you aren't going to do that, but your son Solomon will. And David says, well, at least I can collect the stuff we're going to need to build it. So again, he sort of puts out the call. If you, we're going to build a temple if anybody wants to give to it. And the same thing happens. It mentions the amounts that some people gave, huge amounts that they were bringing in to give to build the temple. Why? Because David made them feel guilty? Because Moses laid a trip on them? Because they said, okay, all of you, 10%, let's go. Chip it in, pile it up right here. They did it because they were so 
grateful to God for what he had given to them, for what God had done in their lives. They gave gladly and generously. And the, the longing of my heart is that that would be our attitude toward God, that we would, that we would get to the place. This, someday it's going to happen. Someday it's going to happen. You're going to hear a pastor get up here and say, okay, okay, stop. Well, no more giving. No more giving. We've got everything we need. Thank you very much, you know. To give out of gratitude and love to God for what he has given to us just seems like the way we ought to, ought to approach our stewardship of the resources that God has given to us. So then, we need to get our heads straight. We need to understand the, how rich we are and what God has given to us. We need to practice these principles that God has laid out, the tithe, the first fruits. And then when we do that... We need to get our hearts straight, too, because there's an amazing thing that happens. I don't know if you can picture this, but when we give generously to God, it changes us. It changes our hearts. I, I, I want to go back to a, a passage from, from First Chronicles. This is what David prays when these people have given the, this incredible amount to build the temple. And it's one of the most beautiful prayers I have ever read. And listen to how David states it. This is First Chronicles 29. David's praying. He says, But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we've given you only what comes from your hand. Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand. And all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things that I have given willingly and honest, with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you Lord our God of all fathers of our fathers Abraham and Isaac and Israel keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you giving to God changes our hearts let me just mention three ways that that happens first it shows that we trust God there's maybe nothing that we do that takes more faith than giving sacrificially to God. That's really where the rubber meets the road. And we can talk about things where we're trusting God, but I'll tell you, this is one of those very specific and real areas. And when we give to God, it helps build our faith and trust in Him when we see how God is faithful with what we we're giving to Him. Um, secondly, it fights greed. I'm a, I'm a greedy person. I see what people have and I want it. I see the commercials and I want the newest and the best and the brightest and the most expensive. And when I take what I have and sacrificially give it to God to the point even maybe where I'm saying to myself, I'm giving to God and I'm not going to buy that thing for myself. It fights greed. I, my son, a long time ago, did this. He, was, he ran sound often here at the church when he was in high school and then after that as well for a while. And at one point, we needed a new sound system uh, down at that end of the building. And my son had just bought a new truck. And he said, 
I wish I hadn't bought that truck, because if I hadn't, I, I want to buy that sound system for the, for the church. And I wonder how often our greed gets in the way of our being able to do that gracious, glorious thing of giving back to God. So when we do that, it, it fights the greed in our hearts. And finally, it builds contentment in our lives. It helps us to realize that God has given us what we need for life, and we can trust him. Now, I just want to, want to wind this up quickly with just a, a sort of a, an aside. Sally and, I, Sally and I, I think, made a mistake in our giving. So I had I'd read in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, you know, when, when you give your alms, don't sound a trumpet before you so that everybody sees how much you're giving. Don't even let your right hand know what your, what your left hand is giving you. But when you give in secret, your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And so we, we never gave publicly. And in fact, in those days before push pay and stuff, so every month I would write a check out. And when I came over to the church, to, to my office, I'd stick it in the deacon's box. And at one, one time, our kids said, gee, you know, we never give anything to the church. Because every Sunday when the offering plate came by, we never put anything in. Well, I knew what we were doing. Sally knew what we were doing, but our kids sure didn't. So one of the ways we can help build faith and contentment and to fight greed in our children is to let them know that maybe it's a struggle for us, but this is the priority we have set as a Christian family, that we will give generously, graciously, and gladly to God and to see how God can use that with this next generation as well. We're uh, out of time. We're going to pray as we close. Uh, Some of this this stuff, Lord, kind of rubs me the wrong way because I want to think about things being mine, my possession, when um, they're just on loan from you. Um, I want to feel like you know, maybe I give to you what's yours and the rest is mine to do what I want with it. Uh, it's a struggle for us, Lord, but I believe it's one of those areas where you can really use it to grow and change our hearts. And it pleases and honors you when we are, we are glad and grateful givers. We pray in the name of the one who gave everything for us, our Savior Jesus. Amen.